Blog Talk Radio. This is our common ground, alternative activists, empowerment, talk radio, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Who are you? You don't know. Don't tell me Negro, that's nothing. What were you before the white man named you a Negro? And where were you? And what did you have? What was yours? What language did you speak then? I am a revolutionary. It's about what we didn't do. Amen. Then it speaks to us and the possibility for us as a future person. Because ultimately, our people's future resides on what we do outside of the White House. African descent fairly, America failed. She put them in chains. The government put them on slave quarters, put them on action block, auction blocks, put them in cotton fields, put them in inferior schools, put them in substandard housing, put them in scientific experience, experiments, put them in the lowest paying jobs, put them outside the equal protection of the law, kept them out of their racist bastions of higher education, and locked them into positions of hopelessness and helplessness. The government gives them the drugs, builds bigger prisons, passes a three-strike law, and then wants us to sing God Bless America? No, no, no. Not God Bless America. God... Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. Our Common Ground, speaking truth to power and ourselves. Our Common Ground, a higher ground for discourse, discussion, solutions, and ideas. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Talk, talk, that matters. matters. Transforming truth truth to power, power, power. one One broadcast at a time. And now to Our Common Ground with Janice Graham. And good evening and thank you for being with us here at Our Common Ground, a sanctuary where we speak black truth. Uh, We're so glad to be back here at Our Common Ground. We've been on a hiatus. If you are a new listener and joining us, we welcome you so very much and thank you for joining us. Right to the left of you, if you are in our chat room, we'd appreciate if you'd hit the Facebook and the Twitter, if you have such an account, and let people know that we are here. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we are honored uh, in our first page to have with us former Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney. We'll be in conversation with her. Um, She is an international human rights activist and former Green Party presidential candidate, and we're going to be discussing domestic and foreign policy in this new American, American with two Ks, let me spell it for you, A-M-E-R-I, K-K-A-N-M.
empire. So we're neat. We we are facing at this juncture in our black lives the need to confront a whole new empire that is now America. We're going to span our discussion of topics to include the American relationship and funding of the State of Israel and what is happening there. Uh, over the last couple of days, there has been turmoil created by continuing oppression of the Palestinian people. We're going to be looking at the increased surveillance of Americans domestically and the militarization of law enforcement in this country. And we're going to be talking about what Cynthia McKinney is thinking about in terms of the resurgence of open and affirmed white supremacy in this U.S. homeland. Also, on our radar tonight will be the education of black children, the military, prison, and health industrial complex, and reparations now that it is currently in our sights um, via the mainstream media. We want to thank uh, all of you. We especially want to thank our friends who have sent us email and IMs and uh, all kinds of things to keep us going. As you know, I've been off of the air here at Our Common Ground uh, since um, May. And it's been tough not to share with you some of the egregious political, cultural, and judicial issues that have been on our radar screen, but we are back, and uh, we want you to know that um, we're getting comfortable in our new studio, as comfortable as we're going to be. The bad news is that the command center was left behind. Yes, it was. A desk of more than 20 years I left in my old home. Uh, well, I didn't leave it in there, but uh, it's gone. And everyone that knows me called it the command center, and I'm working from a new desk. I'm working on a new telephone. I'm working from a new location. You will not hear the sirens of the city of Boston. You will not hear uh, the uh, pitter-pat of the city on this broadcast in the background any longer. You might hear all of the people who are in the new house uh, who are visiting and bringing the joy of the weekend and um, their energy, but we are going to get through this. If we do have a technical difficulty, I want you to sit still because I can fix it on this end. So tonight, let me tell you uh, about our guest. Uh, many of you know her very well, but we're going to give you an idea of what you should know about Cynthia McKinney as we wait for her to join us. She has become an internationally renowned human rights activist because of her readiness to step into the, into the line of fire in order to achieve her goals. My banner for her for many, many years, and we have, um, I have personally 
watch the courage that she has been able to muster as she, as she was a political leader in this country. She has been stranded in international waters and rescued by the Lebanese Navy as she attempted to deliver humanitarian assistance to the besieged people of Gaza during Israel's 22-day military attack on Gaza, Palestine, Operation Cast Lead. Also as a result of her activism around Israel-Palestine issues, and we will be talking with her about that, she served seven days in an Israeli prison for attempting to deliver school supplies to Gaza's children in the aftermath of Operation Cast Lead. She has traveled to Libya just days before the U.S.-NATO operations against that country, and after the outbreak of actual bombing of Libya, Cynthia McKinney assembled a team of journalists and took them to Libya to report the truth as opposed to the war propaganda that we were all receiving around the globe, especially inside the United States where the propaganda we were being fed. She reported on many war crimes from the U.S.-NATO operation against Libya and noted that she could taste the grit of the bunker busters as they pounded that African country's soil. And you can read about her experiences and her opinions in her book, Illegal War on Libya. It is a report on Libya, on Libya before, during, and after the bombing from people who were familiar or traveled with that country. She completed a fact-finding mission to Syria to understand the complexities of the push for U.S. war against that country, and her report on Syria has been issued, and that was in 2013. She was invited to speak at a conference sponsored by IBON, IBON International, a human rights organization headquartered in the Philippines. Many heroes of the Philippine independence movement were there as well as international leaders of the Kurdish and Tamil human rights movement. You know that she served 12 years as a member of the United States Congress, House of Representatives. She was elected six times by the people of the state of Georgia. She exposed and talked about with great courage corruption in Washington, D.C., that right now everybody was talking about it, and did not hesitate to hold responsible people who needed to be held responsible. Donald Rumsfeld, can you hear me? Especially Donald Rumsfeld on fiscal responsibility and the tragic events of September 11th were our legendary in our public discord around September 11th. You can watch her in video. As a member of Congress, she challenged then Secretary of Homeland Security Michael Chertoff to tell the truth about his failures as a leader in the aftermath of, human, of Hurricane Katrina. She challenged the Africa policies of both George W. Bush Secretary of State Colin Powell, as well as Bill Clinton's Secretary of State Madeleine Albright, which to many led to 
her demise, but there were some extra um, kinds of items that came up later. But she is a woman who has demonstrated that she thinks that the public has a right to know what its government does in its name using our tax dollars. She consistently sought to release records pertaining to the surveillance and murder of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. as well as Tupac Shakur. She studied the U.S. government's organized effort to squash dissent during the 1960s and 1970s and the findings of assassination attempts against foreign leaders that were contained in the Church Committee report. As a member of Congress, she tackled some tough and international, domestic and international issues. At home, she became a tireless defender of her constituents in Georgia, as well as poor, middle-class farmers, students, and veterans, and we all benefited from her efforts as she raised the real issues for real talk. She authored the legislation that authorized a disparity study that found that black farmers in the United States had suffered intentional and willful discrimination. She tackled unethical mining operations in Georgia and was able to recover increased revenues for landowners affected by international corporations. In her early career, she served four years in the Georgia General Assembly. She has a distinction of having served as a juror on the Bertrand Russell Tribunal on Palestine and working with Dr. Tun, Dr. Mahathir Mohammed's Perdana Global Peace Foundation. Of course, you all know that she has won so many awards and continues to be a human rights activism around the world. And as we open our second session of the 2014 season here at Our Common Ground, we are honored to have her with us to help us dissect and understand the new American empire. So it is just with a great honor and privilege. You know, she is one she has been on my radar for a very long time. So it is just we are very very honored and very very pleased that she could join us and it is just the right time. And we are glad that you're with us, and we will be joining former Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney, an international human rights activist, a woman who dared to lead. Uh, I bumped into the pro-Israel lobby, which of course does not want to have to contend with a politicized Muslim community, which is as large as and is as wealthy as the pro-Israel lobby is in the United States. And he had the foresight to use his position as an incumbent in the House of Representatives to put his experience on the congressional record for the entire existence of the United States Congress now, people will be able to access his experience. And what he wrote was that it was the Garden Club of New Jersey that gave 
his opponent $5,000. But it wasn't really the Garden Club of New Jersey. It was the activists who were associated with APAC, the okay. American Israel Public Affairs Committee. Wow. The human rights aspirations, the, the legitimate rights and the aspirations of the Palestinian people, um, I have a target on my forehead. And that then means that every means that is available to the pro-Israel lobby will be utilized to make sure that I do not ever occupy a position of authority. Fortunately for me, there is a very large peace community that is interested in change. And they would like to have a tested, experienced voice representing them in that very hall of Congress so that they can at least have their voices heard even if they can't change the policy. But being there is the first step to having the policy change. Fortunately for me, there is tremendous pressure inside the political process to make sure that the voters stay aligned inside either the Democrat or Republican parties. Why? Because both of those parties have been captured by special interests. And those special interests are, quite frankly, the antithesis of the interests of the people. And so therefore, for example, if um, people in the United States care about education, but unfortunately there's a banker that gets in between the student and the student's ability to go to school, if they care about uh, health care, there's the insurance industry that gets in between the patient and the doctor who is seeking to provide care. And so we have all of these special interests that have positioned themselves in between the political decision makers and the people themselves. The process now is more responsive to those special interests than it is to the values and the wishes of the American people. When the American people then decide that they are sick and tired of this kind of configuration, the only place to go so that one's values have the likelihood or the opportunity to become policy is outside of the corral that has been built for you. And an interesting example is the Tea Party. The, tea, the people of the Tea Party were originally angry about the direction of their country. And who wouldn't be angry at the direction that the United States has taken now? They initially said that they would vote neither Democrat nor Republican, that they were independent voters. And then what happened? The powers that be sent Sarah Palin in and corralled this group, this nascent group of independent voters and captured them again for the Republican Party. She dared to lead with courage. Tonight at Our Common Ground, we're honored to have 
a true liberation warrior. Former Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney joins us here tonight. Be in conversation with her and taking your calls. Thank you for being with us here on Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Stay tuned. Cynthia McKinney, thank you so very much for joining us here at Our Common Ground. Whoa. Yeah, I think I got it right. I've, I've been off the air for so long, maybe I don't know how to run this thing. Cynthia McKinney, are you there? Okay, she hasn't joined us yet. Um, we do have someone who maybe has a question for her. 443, you're on the air. I respect you. Thank you for your call. Uh, yes, I was waiting until she came on uh, to ask my question. Um, okay, we're, wait- we're we're she still hasn't come in yet, so we're we're waiting for her. And thank you for joining us here tonight at our common ground. Okay, uh, so you want me to proceed with my my question? Yes, with your question, and we'll make sure we'll, we're going to put you on hold. And once she comes on and starts taking questions, we'll we'll bring you back in first thing. But what we'll do is hear your hear your your question now. Okay. Um, I and uh, many other people have been since um, uh, right before Mother's Day were alarmed about the fact that uh, Malcolm X's grandson was killed in Mexico. Um, the people that know of him were surprised when he that that he was that part of the question, and they were all uh, excuse me that that part of the country, and uh, and a lot about him being killed, um, and it was June 29th when she was on Baltimore radio, and had called in on the show called Caribbean Exchange, and asked her to um, one join us in the petition that we are raising to John Kerry about the uh, death of Malcolm X's grandson in Mexico. Um, and unfortunately, she didn't do that. She said that, you know, she was concerned she was going to put an investigation in place and put that to paper. And we have So you want to know what yet. her position is on this and whether or not she still maintains an, an interest as part of her human rights um, activities uh, to, uh, definitely uh, so, because she she knew Malcolm very closely, and uh, mm-hmm. now we did know, however, that Malcolm had a, a disagreement uh, in November 2012 with a person that she worked very closely with, and that was J.R. Valray. And a lot of us have the suspicion that J.R. was involved with the setup of putting Malcolm down in Mexico. I had read that, and, and I right, I, I and, do know J.R. Um, and uh, I had read that and was surprised about the entanglement. But what we will do is we will um, put you back on hold so that you can listen and wait until the time that Miss um, McKinney joins us. Okay, because because um, I can't answer Jr. Yeah, Jr. had tried to say in May 2013 that you know he didn't know anything of the two guys. Uh, and had, uh, but then when we looked at the um, San, Francisco, San Francisco Bayview newspaper newsletter, 
uh, that in December he had introduced them on his radio show. So it wasn't it was uh, a case of him saying he did not know these these people. And um, mm-hmm. there's also some more details that we found out as well. Uh, Let me on ask our you own, something. But, uh-huh. What has been the response by um, Secretary of State Kerry on this? Has he responded at all? He did not, have not respond, but, however, we had 5,000 people that put signature onto the pe- uh, petition, uh, which mm-hmm. we, you know, put around the world. Then we also have a paper petition that is going directly to Obama because of the inaction of John Kerry. And so we're not uh-huh. going to excuse of Malcolm's death of being like, oh, you know, like a killing a fly on the wall. You know, there yeah. were uh, concerns just like his grandfather, and there we mm-hmm. should take that as far as with the grandson as well. Okay. Uh, I'm going to put you back on hold. And when we start taking calls, you're calling from the West Coast, right? I'm calling from the East Coast. Oh, okay. Okay, so I'm going to uh, put you back on hold, see if Ms. McKinney has joined us yet, and thank you very much for being with us. Congresswoman McKinney, we're waiting for you to call in. If you're listening, our call-in number is 347-838-9852. Let's see if we've got a lot of people on this board here. Um, And if Congresswoman McKinney is on, would you please hold up your hand by dialing one or speaking into your microphone? Okay. I'm not getting her. We're going to take a break and uh, try to work this out. Uh, We've got a staff of minus 100 and behind me. So uh, when we come back, we hope that she would have joined us. I do have some announcements for tonight, and I I think I'll go through those. First of all, I did want to mention and call the names of our newest, most prominent ancestors. Um, We were off the air Uh, upon their deaths. Uh, Our mother, grandmother, aunt, sister, elder, Maya Angelou, and Ruby Dee. Uh, We want to call the name of little Jimmy Scott, Bobby Womack, and author Walter Dean Myers who are now ancestors. Next week here at Our Common Ground, we will be honoring Maya Angelou and Ruby Dee with the music of Bobby Womack and Little Jimmy Scott and a reading list uh, for the words of these people. If you're just joining us tonight, our quote at Our Common Ground is, you will never know the truth if you are unwilling to hear it. You can write that down. You can put that in cement. You will never know the truth if you are unwilling to hear it. 
at our common ground in our second hour tonight after our discussion with um, Sister Cynthia McKinney. Uh, we do want you to know we have three things that we're going to cover and highlight. Uh, the water crisis for poor and working poor in Detroit. The U.S. Supreme Court over the last year, they are out of control, and we need to rethink in this country who they are, what they are, and what they do. And we're going to be looking at Moral Monday in North Carolina. That's what we're going to do in the second page at Our Common Ground. We're hoping that this is Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney. Hello. Hi. Hi. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, I'm so sorry. I'm a little late. <laughs> That's quite all right. We are honored to have you. We, You know, I have to say to you that I have been broadcasting for 29 years, and um, I have wanted you on our common ground for probably – 26 of those years, and we have not been able to connect. So thank you so very much for joining us tonight, and we have a new American empire that has to be confronted, and I think that you are the person whose voice we so so desperately need, but before we begin that discussion, I have already introduced you. We have already heard your voice and some of your messages uh, over a number of issues. But tell us what you are doing now and what are the top five issues in this new American empire that we must pay attention to. Well, uh, what I'm doing now is I'm working on my Ph.D., and I've been working on my Ph.D. for as long as I've been an adult. But this time I'm actually, I'm actually making progress, and I'm uh-huh. actually doing the work. So, uh-huh. And um, I understand that your Ph.D. is in leadership. Now, you should be awarding yourself the Ph.D., but, you know, that's <laughs> none of my business. <laughs> that, that's none of my business. But uh, so you're working on your doctorate in leadership. Yes, leadership and change. Wow. And when when do you expect that you're going to complete it? Well, because we need um, you out here. <laughs> I got some good news yesterday. The first three chapters of my uh, dissertation were accepted with some provisions so uh but the important thing is that it was accepted they were accepted well congratulations um, yeah so now i have only three chapters more to go which um quite frankly i've already written so (laughs) i haven't turned them in yet though and so um once i go through the um I have to go through the opinions of each of my committee members 
um, I have to go through all of that and then um, agree on a strategy to satisfy um, their most major concerns, of which there are not or should not be that many. And um, then I will turn in my next three chapters, which I've already written, and hopefully um, we're looking at me doing a defense in September or October or something like that, hopefully. Um, Great. It's hard Great. to... It's hard to put a time frame on it just because you never know what um, surprises are going to come your way. But whenever um, I complete the defense, then I'm done with the program. And then um, you should have me back on so I can say, yay, I finished. (laughs) (laughs) I certainly will. You know, and for those of you who are listening, if you want to know the complete biography of Cynthia McKinney, you should purchase and read her autobiography, Ain't Nothing Like Freedom. And you would know that she is a bicycle enthusiast, which really caught me by surprise. (laughs) Yes, I am, even though, I mean, you know, and I guess you could say that I lost all of that in pursuit of this goal of – the uh, academic terminal degree because um, since February, from February to June 6th, I sat all day, every day, 10 hours, 15 hours. Sometimes I pulled complete all-nighters because I had self-imposed goals and I uh-huh. had to meet those, meet those goals. So in order to say, okay, I'm going to turn in Chapter 3 by X date, then that meant that um, I have to sit there until I got it done. That is most unhealthy, and I didn't do any exercise or anything, really. I would do, like, you know, 30 minutes a day, but that's not nearly enough when you're sitting because in the first place, sitting is not healthy. So I feel a bit out of sorts now. And, um, but, you know, I guess maybe I'm narrowing so that I don't multitask as well as I used to. I can't wait until I complete this whole process because I would like to go back out on the bicycle and do a cross country again. That's what I really would like. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we hope that uh, in September you are successful in defending your, your thesis and that you have uh, an opportunity to get some um, some recreation on your bicycle out. But one of the things that uh, we all want to know right now is once you have you are a doctor in cha- leadership and change. How are you going to apply that and to what, how do you see yourself once you, I, I know when you work on a, a, doc, uh, a, a dissertation that one of the things you become inhuman. <laughs> <laughs> so 
what can we expect and what are your what are your priorities about what is uh, america is 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 dismantling itself it is eating its it's eating its own brain stem and the whole world is on fire what do you make of that well the whole world is on fire because someone has a match and they don't mind striking it. And um, whoever those people are, and here's the other thing, um, we also have a lot of people who have decided to be onlookers. And so they don't mind watching as the arsonists go about their business of setting the fires. So we've got the actual arsonists who are setting the fires. We've got the onlookers who stand by and watch as people are hurt by these fires. And then we have a couple of people who actually rush to go get a minuscule amount of water in comparison to the amount required to actually try and put the fire out. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. We, we we need more people joining in, not only putting the fires out, but reining in the arsonists. And that's what we don't have. We have too many standers by and onlookers and not enough people who are committed to resolving the problem. Mhm, mhm. Now let's take a look at these fires. Uh, let's okay. start off at the U.S. Congress and its relationship to the corporations, the businesses, and the one percenters in this country. The people who have decided war, who have decided the military, the prison, and the education industrial complex who have unleashed upon this country um, uh, uh, um, law savages in our law enforcement and on the benches of our courts. Let's start there. There's, I mean, I just called off a lot of fires, but I, I, I think that if people get a clear idea about the relationship between each of those and how it happens. Let's start with the Congress. How disappointed you must be at a body for which you were a member at what has it has become, become since you left. Well, I don't know if I'm disappointed because disappointment implies or as, um, you know, Dr. King said, disappointment implies a, 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 a requires a love when he said that he was disappointed in the United States. And, um, and also a, a, a kind of surprise that this action would take place. And I can't be disappointed. Well, maybe I could be disappointed. I think it's a different terminology, though of what my feelings would be about the the Congress, and in particular the Congressional Black Caucus, the very last um, 
item that I have from the Congressional Black Caucus is a bag, like a kind of a book bag or something, and it's got Lockheed Martin on it. So the Congressional Black Caucus annual legislative weekend, which, um, you know, people buy to get tickets to because there's a nice show, there's a boat ride, there's a this, there's a that. Um, I always did my COINTELPRO conferences there. And my audiences were always uniquely disadvantaged. And in one uh, one of those counterintelligence program conferences, my my uh, they call them brain trust. My brain trust was not announced, had no sign, was assigned to a room that had no chairs and no microphone. And this particular brain trust was on the murder of Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Um, I tried to impart knowledge, but um, the kind of knowledge that would empower the participants, we finally got, um, you know, our chairs and our microphones. And in that particular one, I had William Pepper, the attorney for the King family. I had Martin the Third. I had um, uh, uh, Phil Mellinson, who was a, a Ph.D. researcher on this uh, the topic of assassinations. John Judge. Phil Mellison is now dead. John Judge is now dead. And um, I had Judge Joe Brown because he could testify about the actual murder weapon. So I had all of these people who had firsthand knowledge of who did and did not (laughs) kill um, Dr. King. And then I had the um, great, late Steve Coakley there because Coakley had come to me, Steve Coakley had come to me with his theory about who was involved and and, um, he invited me to do my, to, to, you know, he, we sat there, I was mesmerized for hours because, of course, I, I um, was a student of COINTELPRO. The first mention of the counterintelligence program and um, its impact on dissent in the United States and the Congress since the Church Committee and the Pike Committee was the work that I had done when I invited the political prisoners and their families to come to Capitol Hill. And we talked about the frontline victims of the counterintelligence program and, of course, how no uh, composition, compensation had been made to the families. But they had the opportunity, the, the victims themselves, there was Geronimo Jajaga was there, um, 
uh, Marilyn, uh, oh, I can't remember her last name now, Marilyn, uh, was there, uh, Kathleen Cleaver was there, Michael Warren was there. Um, everyone who is either a lawyer for or an actual political prisoner or their family members um, uh, was there. The room was packed. In fact, the, the room for the Martin King Brain Trust was also packed. But this was the kind of work that I was doing and and of course um, at the very end then I'm given a bag a, 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 like a duffel bag and it's got Congressional Black Caucus Foundation on it and then it's emblazoned with the logo of Lockheed Martin so mm-hmm. you so know, what you're reiterating is what most people have already have concluded that we have lost our sense of serious political discourse and activism, and it didn't just happen yesterday. It's funny that you um, would say that because my son told me that I needed to uh, become a little bit more conversant with – Facebook. So he gave me a 45 minute gave me a 45 minute um, lesson, and so I I do a little Facebooking. Now people are calling me and say, okay, well now you need to move it to the next level and get your own website where you do your blogging yourself and all of that. And so I say, okay, well I'll do that. Um, but on my Facebook page today, I posted. Um, the the one thing I posted, the last thing I posted was that I was going to be with you, and I put the the uh, website on where people could join the chat. But I said, "Sad freedom." I'm yes. tired of watching Iraqis kill other Iraqis for the benefit of none Iraqis. When will the stupidity end? Okay, so that's my sad freedom. And then I've got my um, my black freedom, which is let me find that one. Uh, some black people voluntarily suppress their interests in favor of the interests of the Democratic National Committee. For me, that's the politics of self abnegation. And is like unrequited love within a virtual situation of abuse. Inquiring mm-hmm. minds will research who gets the lion's share of DNC contracts and then will know who really owns and controls the Democratic Party. And what I posted was this article that said less than 2% of Democratic Party's money went to minority firms. And then I say, I concluded by saying this establishes that it's not black people. So um, this idea of um, the um, uh, this unrequited love, almost abusive situation between b- the black voter and the Democratic Party is something that um, troubles me with the state of politics. And then... There's the one other thing that I posted yesterday when I said feeling free. 
I met the parents of this child, and I'm talking yes. about the child in Habersham County where the SWAT team threw a flashbang grenade into the baby's crib, and they were on a mission in the, so, in the failed so-called war on drugs. And so um, what this child is just the latest victim in a string of victims mm-hmm. on not only mm-hmm. is it a failed war on drugs, it's a fake war on drugs. And it started out as being a war on black people because what they did was this 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 um uh well it's actually a, a law that says that local police should not be militarized and not and should not perform the functions of the US military. military. And it mm-hmm. also says that the US military should not be localized to perform policing. So um, there are two different functions, and one fights wars abroad, and the other one keeps um, peace and security at home. And Uh the two are separate. It's called posse comitatus. And anyway, it was exempted for the war on drugs. And in as much as the war on drugs was another way to target black communities, which, of course, we know from the enforcement and the racial disparities with respect to incarceration and the administration of justice, we know that it is safe to say that black communities were targeted of the so-called war on drugs. At the very Mm -hmm. same time, the United States government was dealing drugs and creating drugs and allowing drugs to come into the black community because it was a policy of the United States government. And that we know because of the great work of Mike Rupert, who was approached by the CIA because he came from a CIA family, was approached by the CIA when he was a... Um, member of LAPD and asked to participate in the scheme. So um, we understand that the war on drugs was really a war on people. It was not a war on drugs. It was a war for drugs. And there's no accident then that U.S. soldiers are being photographed uh, standing next to poppy fields because the heroin trade is a huge moneymaker for somebody. Mhm. Mhm. Well, you know, and it's really interesting that all of this now in the age of Obama can be encapsulated that the oppression of the war on drugs, the oppre- the, the war in Afghanistan, the war in Iraq, the war against the Libyan people, the war supported against the the Palestinian people, that we are now importing that mindset of militarism in every aspect of of our domestic law and judicial enforcement. I'm not surprised by that either, because a careful reading 
of the COINTELPRO papers and especially the Frank Church reports, the Frank, Frank Church Committee reports, which was a select committee that was set up in the Senate to investigate the intelligence activities against the U.S. citizens, uh, law-abiding U.S. citizens who dissented from the pro-war policies at that time, the Vietnam War, and who also uh, were pressing for their rights, the communities, the social movement, particularly of people of color, the Black Panthers, the... um, Uh, voting rights community, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., et cetera, as well as the American Indian Movement, the Puerto Rican Independence Movement, and other social movements of the time. And uh, basically what the church committee found was that the intelligence activities that were honed overseas were brought home illegally. So I'm not surprised that activities that started out being targeted outside of the country ended up targeting people who were inside this country. Now, let me let me ask you about uh where you are in terms of I know you you, you know you're working on a PhD and where do you see yourself in the discourse in the public square in the next, say, two years from now? Well, because I'm telling you, we we don't have a voice. We we have no voice. You you were a voice who were, was willing to take on some very tough issues, and as a result, you were slandered. Uh, people have to spend a lot. People like me have to spend a lot of time on the air debunking all the myths and all the craziness uh, uh, that has really been funded to demonize you in many ways because of your your international work, because of your 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 work as a congresswoman. So where do you see yourself five years from now? Well, I think uh, that question is probably more appropriately asked of um, the people who needed the debunking. (laughs) 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 You know, because I I have a clear clear view of where I'm going and, um, and of my goals and what I'd like to do. But you know, here's the thing. Those people who were swayed, uh, and thank you for any word of support that you uttered over the airwaves, because Lord knows when you're going up against the world's most powerful um, special interest, it's uh, darn difficult to, um, to, to, to withstand that kind of a body blow. That's a full, total body blow. Absolutely. And I think that. And, um, and as far as I'm concerned, I'm still standing. So now there are a mm-hmm. lot of people who want me to get back out there and get knocked down again. I never will forget 
that Ron Dellum um, told me, I asked him, you know, I, I entered the Congress the year that he decided to leave. And so as he was winding his service down, I asked him, why are you leaving? You're my hero. <laughs> I want, you know, I want, you've taught me so much already. I want to learn. And he told me that he was tired of people sending him out into the ring and he was fighting the good fight, but he was the one getting bloodied and the people were standing on the on, on the sidelines. Mm-hmm. And so, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think what happened to me was even worse than what happened to Ron Dallas. Mm-hmm. Although what happened to Ron was pretty bad being put on, you know, Nixon's hate list and all of that. Um but um uh but the, it was but it the was goal and the goal for I, the campaign against you was to put you on black people's hate list. And to exactly. me that was to me that we would fall for the kind of propaganda that was being garnered by the American mass media against you was very painful. It was it was very painful to me. And and and, and part of the uh, the other thing is and I want people to hear me say this. If you had been a male, a black male, some folks would have come to your rescue but you weren't. Well, you know, that's very interesting that you say that because I thought that the normal reaction would be, here I am, uh, I'm literally being body slammed, literally, by Capitol Hill police officers on more than one occasion. I thought that black men would would rush to Washington, D.C. to come to my defense. Mm-hmm. But then when I, when I, and of course that did not, materialize of course the black police officers who were subjected to discrimination themselves racist discrimination on the police force they at least spoke up mm-hmm. and that's you know, how there, I, that's how i understood what was going on around me that i had actually been targeted by white police officers who did not appreciate my Afrocentric dress, my Afrocentric style, my confidence as a black woman. Um, they did not appreciate that, nor the fact that I came to the defense of black police officers who had been called the N-word while they were working. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, so, so um, but what's extremely sad is that I didn't engage in any, in any, uh, I didn't go to parties, I didn't go to, I mean, there was, I went to Washington, D.C., and I worked. I worked 24-7 for the people. I worked as hard on uh, congressional work as I'm working now on my Ph.D. work. Mm 
I live mm-hmm. for my constituents. And well, for it, it's, my it's constituents, clear to me they're always it's clear to me they're always benchmarks and people you need to listen to this because there are always benchmarks when they threw the grenade at you. Yes. They had more right. grenades and we have seen the one grenade after another. We've seen a grenade on this current president of the United States. When they threw that grenade, we didn't pay attention. When they when they threw the grenade at you, Congresswoman uh, McKinney, we didn't pay attention. We just thought, well, that's another one who has gone out of her lane. She's out of her lane, and that's what happens when you get out of your lane. Well, then you know, I don't. I cannot participate in a process that is a sham. Either I'm going to be all in and I'm going to deliver results for my constituents and results and I'm going to make a difference or I'm going to get out and make a difference where I can make a difference. And um, so the question that I posed about the politics of self-abnegation still stand. That was not just the 4th of July uh, feeling free moment. It was a question that I am asking of the black community, are you satisfied practicing the politics of self-abnegation? Do you mm-hmm. realize that United for a Fair Economy is one of my favorite organizations because they measure racial disparities? And in the, this was the racial disparity before the, the uh, fraudulent finance, uh, fraudulent foreclosure issue swept. In fact, I've, I'm doing some research now that uh, I think I'm going to turn it into an article because it's um, amazing what I'm seeing. But um, a United for a Fair Economy found that it would take over 1,000 years to close the the uh, home ownership gap between blacks and whites over 1,000 years. Now, that is without a public policy intervention. The point of practicing politics, though, is that your, your intervention is supposed to change the policy so you don't have to wait 1,000 years mm-hmm, for the home ownership mm-hmm. gap to close. And if you practice the politics of self-abnegation, what that means is that you are not practicing the politics of policy change to benefit your community. You are engaging in the political process because you like the way somebody looks, you like the way they dress, you like the way they speak, uh, they got your back, uh, which is an insult. Um, but if that is all that black people ask for, I have begun to contemplate the nature of blacks in the United States because I'm wondering the docility, where it comes from, because I know that my parents' generation, just one generation ahead of me, would not 
would not stand for the treatment that black people receive today. And what is it that has changed in us that allows us to quite essently accept the kind of treatment that we get today? That's a that's a that's an excellent and um, a question to pose uh, before any black black group because I wonder the same thing. I, I wonder to what extent we have been sucked into perpetuating the same white supremacy that we moan about, that we can talk about, but we're participating in the system. Yeah, system well, that continues to oppress you know, us. We we do we do moan and and complain, and um, you know what I say is that I'm done with the moaning and the complaining. I was, I, you know, what what I tried to do when I was in the Congress, and as I said, I wrote someplace, somebody sent it back to me. That's why I remember it. I wrote that it was like hand-to-hand combat, trench warfare every day that I was in that building. People don't realize okay. when you stand for the people and don't go along just to get along, then the the road is made very tough for you. Every uh-huh. day was hand-to-hand combat and trench warfare just to be there so I could serve the people. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. if the people, um, the people... Honestly, I feel as if I was taken for granted because only now am I hearing from some of my former constituents and they're saying, oh, we need you back. We, you know, we, we don't get served. We, we haven't had a town hall meeting and, you know, blah, blah, blah. We don't know what's going on. You used to keep us informed. We don't even get newsletters. We don't get anything. And so, but, you know, when I needed, I was on the front line 365 for 10 years, 12 years, actually, for 12 years. And when I needed folks to be on the front line for two days, (laughs) two days, it didn't happen. Mm -hmm, So mm -hmm. I think, you know, and um, I took my staff. We drove all night so we could get to New Orleans, so we could march across that bridge where the sheriff fired his rifle and told um, people fleeing the Katrina that they weren't going to cross that bridge. So um, I took my, my staff. We all went for this moment, this, this new civil rights moment, and... I realized that we didn't even pass on our freedom songs to the younger generation. My mm-hmm. father's, my parents' generation passed on a movement. They passed on 
the songs, the, the, the culture to sustain the movement. We inherited all of that. However, we didn't protect that for the next generation and the generation after that. We, my generation, failed. And it, you know, it's not a personal failure. It's a generational failure. It's a community-wide failure because you can't have, you have to have at least a critical mass. You don't have to have everybody. We never even had everybody who was participating in the civil rights movement, but we had enough people who were willing to contribute in some way, shape, or fashion to our freedom. And now we don't even have the critical mass. So Mm -hmm. we've got to rebuild the critical mass in order to be able to launch a new movement for our dignity. Mm -hmm. For our dignity. You know, we are... We often say on this broadcast, you keep doing what you're doing, you keep getting what you're getting. And That's whatever right. we we are doing obviously isn't isn't working. I know that you have to go, but before you go, I'd like to take some calls, but I'd, I'd also like for you to tell our listeners what you think it's going to take in terms of, of a strategic way in which Black people in this country are going to take back that dignity that you just talked about. Well, the sad thing is that we can't rely on the young people who are mesmerized by a hip-hop culture that doesn't belong to us, that wasn't created by us, that wasn't started by us, is not financed by us, and that doesn't nurture us. And uh, I, the, the very, very last COINTELPRO uh, brain trust that I did at the Black Caucus was about how hip-hop had been um, contorted from its noble origins by young people who were communicating with each other and also communicating to the larger community the pain and the, the, the way of life or the way life was for them. And, um, and and they also were like warning other young people, okay, you know, you'll hear this, you'll see this on television, but don't believe the hype. And um, now it's turned into something extremely ugly. And it, of course, it was not financed by us. And I had the last... Um, uh, COINTELPRO brain, brain Trust was on the cultural icon and the COINTELPRO against them. So, for example, mm-hmm. um, uh, I had uh, Paul Robeson there. He's now deceased, but he talked about his father. I had Alex Constantine there who talked about Jimi Hendrix and his affinity for and support of the Black Panthers and, um, uh, you know, the powers that be couldn't, couldn't have uh, Jimi Hendrix. Um, I had uh, a Fanny Shakur, Tupac's mom, was there. And so, um, you know, we, um, 
we are we have become everybody the butt of everybody you know or um and um we get we get mistreated and we get our dignity stolen from us or we allow others to um to uh steal the most precious you know, is our dignity, and without dignity, then there's, you know, there's no direction, Mm -hmm. there's no sense of self, there's, I look at the young girls, and I see so much fake hair, I, you know, we had a, um, a, uh, a, a, a theft of a beauty supply store, they didn't go to the cash register, they didn't get the fiat dollars, they went straight for the fake hair. Um, I, you know, there's just so <laughs> yeah. I read about so, that. Yeah, there's so much that yeah. So and, and then we've got we've got the icons <laughs> and the images who are standing on our backs, becoming part of the one percent, and they have a a faux or a fake consciousness that they sell and it goes nothing beyond what they are selling and 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 it, it's 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 just adding to the levels of oppression in this country against our people we are under attack our 2014 theme is black america a state of emergency and we yes. have really got yes. to think through exactly how we are going to come from under the plow again. Well, because I, I, I gave a speech in Chicago. I gave, well, actually, I gave two speeches in Chicago. The last two speeches that I gave in Chicago one, <clears throat> I proclaimed the black body politic to be in a, in a comatose state. And I said that the, the patient's going to die if extreme measures are not taken. The cancer has to be cut from the body. And... That was the first of the of the last two. The second one, my complaint was that even a, a single-celled amoeba understands that in order to survive, it has to respond to its environment. And when it's in a negative environment, then it responds in such a way so as not to die. But sadly, the black community has not the survival instinct of even a single-cell amoeba because we are in a toxic environment and we have not changed not one bit to save ourselves from that environment. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So that was my that was my very last statement, you know, um, about sort of the state of where we are. And now you're absolutely right; it's a state of emergency. But um, the interesting thing is the authentic leaders who lead with their hearts, as I did. Um, are confused for the inauthentic sent COINTELPRO leaders because remember there was a document May 11, 1965 somewhere at the top there must be a Negro who is clean who can step into the vacuum and chaos once Dr. King is either exposed or assassinated CIA document three years before Dr. King was actually killed, and it discussed regime change on black America, that they would substitute an inauthentic leader force for an authentic one. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we know that one of the projects of the FBI, this is in the Frank Church Committee document, we know that one of the projects of the FBI, the number two man, was looking for a black person to promote once they were successful in getting rid of Dr. King. We know this. They wrote it down. Hmm. So we have sustained regime change at the local level and the national level because those authentic leaders were kicked out of the Congress like me, like Earl Hilliard, were kicked out of the Congress. And whose hand did that? And in my case, it was a white Republican crossover vote that that, um, financed by the Zionist lobby. That was, you know, my my demise. Mm -hmm. In Alabama Mm -hmm. with Earl Hilliard, it was black people who abandoned him for another black person that was running who was supported by the Zionist lobby, the very, <laughs> the very lobby that got rid of the authentic leader. Yes, yes. Well, you know, one of the things that we have been a victim of is our desire to have something that looks like them, that has the glitter of them, and not to do the work that is necessary to know who we vote for. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. I mean, this, uh, and, and I want to say to you, Cynthia McKinney, that if you were in the Congress today doing the work that you did while you were there, they would probably lynch you on the steps of the Capitol uh, building at well, this the point. Interesting, that crew the of in- guys. <laughs> the interesting thing is that I have people coming to me today. I'm talking about July 2014, and they're telling me that they are still, that the money that I got for my constituents in Georgia, they're still Spending it because I understood why I was there. Mm 
Mm-hmm. I was correcting mm-hmm. an imbalance. And I knew that the one thing that my constituents needed was resources that to come back to the to the district to correct the problems with transportation, um, you name it, health care. I was uh, providing funds for uh, all kinds of projects. I had one mayor come to me and say that we're still spending money that you got for us. I haven't been in Congress since 2007, seven years, and they're still spending the money that I brought. And the mm-hmm. mayor was complaining because he couldn't get seven years later and he was not able to make not one appointment with my successor. And he's a mayor. Mm-hmm. So, well, I'll repeat it again. <laughs> you keep doing what you're doing, you're going to keep getting what you're getting, folks. Um, yeah, uh, Congresswoman McKinney, I'd like to uh, take at least a few calls. I know we're way over okay. uh, from yeah, the time that late. you. I was late joining you, so let's take these <laughs> calls. Okay, four four three was with us earlier. She had yeah. a question in regard to the death, the murder of Malcolm Shabazz uh, in Mexico. And you're on the air 443 with former Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney. Yes. Uh, good. Uh, well, on the East Coast, it's good morning, really. Almost, we're close to morning, um, a late night. Um, of Malcolm Chavez, we know from headlines, was killed in Mexico. Miss um, uh, Cynthia McKinney, um, the last time you probably heard my voice was when you came to Baltimore promoting two books, and you were on uh, Caribbean Exchange with Brother Nazi. And you had said at that time that you were supposed to go to Veracruz uh, uh, with supposedly um, Miguel Cerez. Miguel Cerez is the last one that in Mexico at, that we know of uh, communicated that, that he was with Malcolm and Malcolm was killed. Uh, however, we know that with, first off, you know, that week we found out where people were pouring out their condolences and everything. Um, J.R. said that he did not know of uh, Rumac, meaning Miguel Cerez and Juan Ruiz. And you, just, you can just take the time and you go and search through the own paper that he edited with Mary Ratcliffe and the Ratcliffe's, uh, the San Francisco Bayview, and found out that wasn't, that wasn't the case. He had known them since December 2011, 2012, when he announced them on his show, uh, uh, their formation. Had known, so, had known, I don't, had known who? You're not making that clear? Who, again, had Miguel known who? Cerez, Miguel Cerez and Juan Ruiz of Rumec. Oh, Suarez, okay. okay. And yes, and um, you, and, and at the time that I, when we, I, I put my questions to you, that was June um, 6, June uh, 29, 2013. Matter of fact, it's up on Facebook for that if you need to refresh on that and for the listeners that want to hear this, where you, I had asked the questions and you responded back. So that, that segment up, up there is so also for that. So your question for Congresswoman McKinney is what? Okay. You said you were going to put an investigation to paper. That hasn't happened. I even brought the issue to your Facebook 
and you didn't address it. You addressed it to wait a the Alpha Mexican. Wait, 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 wait. I think I inboxed you and I put it on your Facebook whoa, whoa, more whoa, than whoa, one whoa, time. Okay, let me respond to this caller because I think this caller is severely misguided. She has the responsibility to go to people who can conduct an investigation. If she wants an investigation, she should go to her member of Congress. The member of Congress, one member of Congress, and this is where I am completely at a disadvantage because I'm no longer in the Congress. There's only so far that I can go. Now, the situation with young Malcolm was this. Young Malcolm told me personally that he wanted to get involved in politics, that he wanted to follow in his uh, grandfather's footsteps, in his grandfather's footsteps. And um, I think it's good that this young woman does not allow the memory of young Malcolm to be forgotten, that she also does not allow the authority to forget their responsibility when it comes to young Malcolm. But what people must understand is that when I am no longer in the Congress, then that my official jurisdiction ends with my last day in the Congress. And so, therefore, the appropriate place for a, I would think, that the members of the Congressional Black Caucus would be approached, that her own, the caller's own representative would be approached to find out what happened. Now, what I was able to do was to at least um, ask some questions from people who served as a go-between between, because I don't speak Spanish in first, um, although I I'm trying to learn it, but I don't speak Spanish well enough to communicate um, with anyone verbally or, for that matter, uh, written. And um, so there are some U.S. citizens down in Mexico, and they have communicated with me. Unfortunately, um, I did not believe any of it, but in the course of the questioning that I did from here to also to the West Coast, is that this this person, Miguel, whom I never met, but did talk to him on the telephone, um, first of all, let me state categorically, because there are a lot of people for whom this may not be um uh an issue that 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 they want to hear so much detail about but let me say why they ought to get involved on this issue and that is because i believe this is cointelpro mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so caller i, 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 I think that you say, that hello? you got your answer um, Not quite. Uh, and some di- <laughs> well, some direction about it. We can't adjudicate who knew what and the other, but 
I think if you haven't talked to your uh, congressional uh, delegation um, in terms of trying to get to uh, the Secretary of State to do some, an investigation in regard to this murder, that that's what people should be doing and trying to hold people accountable uh, for whom you are a constituent about now, this let issue. Me tell you, now, let me tell you what I would do if I were in the Congress. If I were in the Congress, I would have gone to Mexico with the full authority of the United States government. I would have been accompanied by someone from the State Department and someone from the Department of Justice. I would not have gone alone, but I would have been accompanied by the full force of the United States government asking of the authorities in Mexico for an update. That is why we have elected officials, because when we need them, we need to use them. Mm-hmm. And that and I, that should include a delegation of New York because he was a he was a resident of the of the city of New York, so that should include a de, the delegation from the state of from districts U.S. representatives from uh, the state of New York as well. So well, Charlie Rangel Charlie Rangel has more seniority than anyone other than John Conyers. And so there you have the the power of the seniority come to play in the person of Charlie Rangel. But in that at that moment, he doesn't represent Charlie Rangel. He represents all of the people who are concerned on this issue. If I were in the Congress, that is what I would do. That would be, I was the one that took young Malcolm to Libya. So, of course, I am concerned about, his growth, his development, and him him becoming the national leader, the 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 um, the the visionary leader that young people in this country need right now. And Absolutely. so, um, you know, uh, so this was uh, this was, I believe, COINTELPRO in practice, carried out, and it would be interesting to see the number of letters that have been written to members of Congress or to the Congressional Black Caucus um, uh, asking for a follow-up or asking the the government of Mexico for an update. And I do believe that the... Um, Afro-Mexican community has taken this issue up and has become... I know that they uh, ha- I know they have taken it up because I know they've been down there and when they started getting involved in June uh, uh, since that time frame have been interacting with them. But, however, you did say that you were supposed to go to Veracruz uh, yourself. I have... Uh, uh, if, if you forgot what you had said in June 29, again, I put that up on YouTube. I'll put it in the inbox to you of what you have said there, and and about oh, that. No. now and then I, I'm sorry, but this this was set up within um, unfortunately within the activist community. So it's more than just going to the legislative. Well, 
then this is a person, this is, again, one a, a person who is more interested in um, making these kinds of statements rather than getting to the bottom. Yeah. No, I'm not only just making loose statements. There's things that we know are to place. And please, well, give I, us, all we ask you beforehand with the response. timeline of what happened to him well, before. Then, well, then you should share that information with me if you have information. What I can tell you is this. I was contacted by this Miguel person and invited to, to Vera Cruz because they were celebrating the Afro... Um, the Africanness of the Afro-Mexican community. And um, the, the shared history is that black people in the United States who were enslaved fled to Mexico to freedom. And so there is a sizable Afro, not only uh, Mexican community, but there's a sizable Afro-Latino community, period. And um, I was not fully aware of the history. And so on the telephone, this person by the name of Miguel invited me to come uh, down there. And this is when I was in California. And um, in the course of my trying to understand who this Miguel person was, I contacted a what the young people would call an OG in Southern California, and I was told that this person, uh, this is after what happened to Malcolm, after Malcolm was, was targeted and killed in the vicious way that he was, um, if we are to believe that. I, I don't even know that, but, um, but I was told that this Miguel had a reputation in the community for being a, a strong activist. And um, so this was somebody who was a strong activist who had built the reputation, but I know how COINTELPRO works. And the way COINTELPRO works is that people are planted in the community um, and yeah. given, uh, you know, good background to make them appear to be um, who they really are. Now, I, don't, I can't speak to the personality because, as I say, I don't know. Um, I met uh, one person whose sister was the one who actually went to um, the hospital and identified young Malcolm, at, you know, mm-hmm. but, but at this point, everything happened. At this point, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to turn this to another caller, but caller, I, I think you've gotten some, some good consultation about uh, the kind of activist strategy that's necessary to work with, with, with people who can make something happen. John Kerry happened to have been my senator for many, many years, and he's not going to move unless there is 
some kind of political impetus in his favor and in his interest to do it. So I think you've got a lot of work, and we wish you well on this issue, and we'll keep watching it and hope that you will uh, call in sometimes here at Our Common Ground to give us an update about what's happening. And for those of you who are interested, I think that you can Google and understand what this issue is all about in the murder of um, Malcolm Shabazz, the grandson of Malcolm X, who was looking for his leadership legs at the time of his very tragic and untimely death. Thank you, 443, yes. and we hope you'll stay yes. with us always. We're going to go uh, to 111. You're on the air. I respect you with Cynthia McKinney. Greetings to you, Janice. Is that me? Yes, it is. Hey there. What's happening? <laughs> Janice, Janice, and my congresswoman, Cynthia McKinney, nice to, nice to speak with you both. Well, nice to speak with you as well. Yes, um, yes, congresswoman McKinney, this is fair. I used to be in the 4th Congressional District. I was a big supporter of yours. I used to carry campaign signs. I used to be all over Memorial Drive. So yeah, that's you- right. <laughs> yes, ma'am. We are, we moved to Texas a few years ago because after you after Denise Majette, let's call names now. That disgrace, Denise Majette, that um that they ran, um, they um as you said, the, the folks from North DeKalb, they, they put her up there. She got off the bench, and she decided to run against you. She only did one term, and she got ambitious and decided she was going to do the Senate thing. And they clipped her wings. Now I heard she's disbarred. And she is in really bad shape. But she should have known that she, what was going to happen to her after she went up against you. So I hope, Congresswoman McKinney, that you do not go back into that pig side. You did your work out there. I don't want to see anything bad happen to you um, out there. Just do what you're doing on the side. Do your humanitarian work. And I hope, wish you much success with that because I don't want you to go back and assess food. Them CBC members up there, they showed you what, what it is that they're all about. They're all bought and paid for, and ain't not one of them um, any good up there. I hate to say even Maxine Waters. I used to look up to Maxine, but Maxine has fallen in with all of the wrong crowds, and ain't not one of them is any good in the um, in the whole CBC. So, Janet, I, I appreciate you having the congresswoman online, and I wish that I was back in your district. Matter of fact, you need to come up here because Edie Bernice Johnson is my congressional rep, and – She's another story for another time. I'm not even going to sit with you because I, uh, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I went I to her office and I almost went off, on, on, went off on, in her office. But that's for a whole other story, so we're not even going to go into that one, Congresswoman McKinney. But, Janet, thanks for indulging me, and I do appreciate you having my Congresswoman. It's good around. to hear from you, Sarah, coming right out of the box in our second session. And thank you so very much for... Uh, your encouragement and your inspiration. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. I'm using myself, Congresswoman McKinney. Please do not run for any more office. I'm just begging you, do not. Say, do what you're doing. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you so much. <laughs> it's the bottom of the hour, and um, we uh, are so pleased uh, that you were able to stay with us for some extra time. Um, your fans, your fans are all out there. <laughs> you served your constituents well, Cynthia McKinney. I wish in my next lifetime 
that I would dare to challenge the system that you so courageously challenged. And, and I, I thank you as an activist, a longtime activist. Um, you and I met many, many years ago as I chaired the um, Ron Daniels campaign for New Tomorrow. Oh, um, okay. So um, people, people um, I meet along the way, I watch, and I have watched you for many, many years and have very much respected and honored the work that you have done. And you have certainly got to come back and talk to us more about what's happening on the international front. I would um, be glad to do that. Tonight, the Gaza is on fire. Yes. Oh. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, there's there's nothing left in Gaza to bomb except the people. And um, um, it's a depraved situation that this happens, and it happens with the consent of, you know, if people want, I don't, you know, that's one area that black people could join together and say, not one more dying. Yes. You know, and spend that money at home. Um, spend that money on us, you know, because the the black community is, in such dire straits, as you say, it's a state of emergency now. And it's unreal that we have allowed, we had money for the, after we bombed and traumatized a whole country in Iraq, the way in which we have invaded and for for centuries it will never, ever be able to, be a country where where the the, the, the the original peoples of that land in Afghanistan I mean and, and 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 we can legitimize in media and in the pulpits of the Congress I call them pulpits in the pulpits yeah. of Congress the money that we have spent killing just just people who are are not guilty than other than living out their lives in the way that they choose. But we have not well, raised our voices. We have not raised our voices on so many issues, and that's why I guess I'll end where I began, and that is with the politics of self-abnegation. So we attack our authentic leaders, and we allow the ones who are the regime change leaders to get away with, with literally killing us. And just as the United States is killing whole countries now, um, the depleted uranium that's being used in Gaza and Afghanistan and Pakistan, everywhere the United States is bombing, it's used, it's being, those places are being bombed with depleted uranium. And, you know, that's going to be around for hundreds of years, if not thousands of years. So um, the contamination 
that's being done is 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 it's it's carried in the rivers, in the waters, in the air. Um, I don't even eat seafood anymore because of, um, well, at least I don't eat Pacific seafood because of Fukushima. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so from health care to quality of life issues to uh, you name it, we have a lot that we need to be concerned about. And um, I don't know, I think our education, I just watched a video tonight about um, the, the, you know, mind control programs of the, back in the day, MKUltra, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. how we have mass media today that continue the mind control. You combine Absolutely. that with an education system that kind of dumbs down the young people, and and so there you have a a non-sustainable permaculture of underculture, I guess is what I'm... Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Well, we look forward to you returning, and thank you so very much uh, for joining us tonight. Okay, bye-bye. Former Congresswoman, human rights activist, Cynthia McKinney. We'll be right back. Listening to our common ground, transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. I'm Janice Graham, and I'll be listening for you. Right after this break, we'll take your calls at our common ground. Belinda, just damn. When injustice becomes law, resistance becomes duty. This is Alpha, hosting the best of pushback talk radio. The Alpha Show, returning July 11th, Friday, 10 p.m. It's The Alpha Show. The Alpha Show, only at TruthWorks Network. Fridays, 10 p.m. TruthWorks Network. TruthWorks. TruthWorks Network. Live from the TruthWorks Network studio at Blog Talk Radio, an Our Common Ground media production. The Black Voice Collaborative. The Alpha Show Alpha, serving his politics with hot grips. Soul Emergence, with Peter E. Matthews, reconciling for revolution. Special broadcast series, Working While Black, Black Women in the Prison. And 
empowers you. The truth must be spoken more than once. Only on TruthWorks Network. You can find TruthWorks Network on Facebook. Like us and learn more about us. India Declare. Real, raw, and right now. It's the I Declare Show with India Declare. 11 a.m. Friday and Saturday. End your week and start your weekend with Real, Raw, and Right Now. 11 a.m. Blog Talk Radio. I Declare It. We invite you to join Peter E. Matthews on Soul Emergence. Tuesday nights, 9 p.m. Soul Emergence at TruthWorks Network. Where reconciliation is the tool of revolution. Soul Emergence with Peter E. Matthews. Only on TruthWorks Network. The Black Voice Collaborative. Are you teen self empowerment? A six week workshop, a collaborative project between TruthWorks Network and author, educator, and educational coach Ajay Taimba, the author of Truth for Our Youth. This broadcast workshop is designed for parents, advocates, and teens. Moderated by Ajay Taimba, the author of Truth For Our Year. This is Listen, Learn, and Talk Radio at TruthWorks Network. Open up your books, and we do hope you have your book. Draw up your pencils and pens. It's time to get to work. Knowledge is power, and it can lead us to empower teen self-empowerment. Thank you for being with us tonight. And now here's the workshop. You're listening to Truth Works Network, the Alpha Show. Transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. 
stay tuned. Our common ground with Janice Graham. Our common ground. And we thank you for being with us. What a great hour to spend with former Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney. Don't you think so? Wow. Can you imagine for a moment that this was a woman who was definitely on point on the issues as a congresswoman, as a human rights activist, can you imagine a moment spending your life that way? Well, I think you better start imagining a moment because all of us have got to get off of our duff and begin to get into this um, fight because we are, again, we are and have to confront the new American, American A-M-E-R-I-K-K-A-N empire. You're listening to Our Common Ground. I'm Janice Graham, and thank you so much. We've, we, 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 we went over time. We had planned uh, to talk about a number of things uh, in the second hour. We won't have time to, to do that but we certainly will take your calls at 347-838-9852. I did have something that I wanted to to share with you uh, uh, in the second hour, uh, specifically on the issues of of uh, what's happening in Detroit. Thousands of Detroit citizens are experiencing and face shutoff of city water services. It's a human rights issue, an ongoing attack on the poor and working poor of Detroit, and we need to determine what what we must do to assert our human rights as disenfranchised people across this country and especially uh, as brothers and sisters of the people of Detroit who are facing uh, this tyrannical local government and corporate terrorism. I am going to share with you uh, what we had uh, planned for this. We've only got a few minutes. Um, <clears throat> the other is, and we, and you see, this is why you need to support this, this radio broadcast. Two hours, I realized, I mean, up until four years ago, we did this five days a week for three hours a day. And if white people are talking for for 24 hours, we need to be talking for 34 hours. And if you don't support these kinds of broadcasts, they go away. They simply go away. The other is the matter of the Supreme Court. There's clear activism on the bench perpetuating a class war in this country. We need to begin to to rethink what we understand and know about the the role of the Supreme Court, and and you can only do that by beginning to be concerned as activists and looking at the nature of the Supreme Court and, and rulings just this week. Hobby Lobby won, anti-labor agenda of the right won, 
And we need to start stop saying, well, that's the way it is, and begin to think about how can we bring change. That, that's what makes me very excited about a person like Cynthia McKinney getting a Ph.D. in leadership and change. I, 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 I mean, so um, the other issue is we need to, to, to look at the fight that poor and working poor black people and brown people are facing in North Carolina. Uh, in February of this year, North Carolina saw the largest, most diverse, and visionary cross-issue mass mobilization ever in the state. And these assemblies continue in response to regressive legislation that has poured out of the North Carolina General Assembly and is adversely affecting North Carolinians. And my question is, is Morrow Monday, is this coalition working? And if it's not working and people are really out on the firing lines, what is it that we can do? What is it that we can do? What is it that we can change the policies that allow our tax dollars to fund a country that would essentially imprison and starve African refugees and immigrants and then deport them back into violent situations where families are being killed? What, what is it? that we can do. I'm Janice Graham, and thank you so very much to um, Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney, to Sarah and uh, 443 for their calls, for you all in our chat room. Uh, Join us on Facebook, uh, on Twitter, at Janice OCG. Sign up for our newsletter. Support us so that we can continue this broadcast. I'm Janice Graham. This is Our Common Ground transforming truth to power, one broadcast at a time. Thank you for joining us here tonight at Our Common Ground. A special thanks to former Congresswoman Cynthia McKinney for joining us on Our Common Ground. We're here each Saturday, 10 p.m., speaking truth to power and ourselves. We'll see you next week. I think the cop. And I carried it off. And I built the railroad. Under someone else's whip. For nothing. For nothing. The Southern Oligarchy, which has until today so much power in Washington, and therefore some power in the world, was created by my labor and my sweat and the violation of my women and the murder of my children. This, in the land of the free and the home of the brave. And no one can challenge that statement in the matter of historical record. In another way, this dream, and we'll get to the dream in a moment, is at the expense of the American Negro. You watch this in the Deep South in great relief. 
but not only in the Deep South. In the Deep South, you are dealing with a sheriff or a landlord or a landlady or the girl at the Western Union desk. And she doesn't know quite who she's dealing with, by which I mean that if you're not part of the town and if you are a northern nigger, it shows in millions of ways. So she simply knows that it's an unknown quantity and she wants to have nothing to do with it. So she won't talk to you. You have to wait for a while to get your telegram. Okay, we all know this. We've been through it. And by the time you get to be a man, it's very easy to deal with. But what is happening in the poor woman, the poor man's mind, is this. 